All right, welcome to Unknown Christian Soldiers, episode 12. On this episode, we're, of course, going to have our Unknown Christian Soldier, our Bible verse. We're going to continue our study in Ephesians, and we're going to have some news and events for you, as well as a couple book reviews. So let's jump right into it. Father God, we come before you. We pray your blessing on this podcast. We pray that you will allow us to put into it what you want and get out of it what you want us to as well and nothing else. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Episode 12, Unknown Christian Soldier, is going to be the Doctors of Samaritan's Purse that are heading to Italy. Now, Samaritan's Purse, for those of you who don't know, is a Christian organization that provides relief effort with both physical relief and the gospel message. Now, they've already got four personnel over there. They're sending 32 more over to Italy, right in the heart of where the virus is hitting hardest. Now, these are volunteers that are going to provide aid to those who desperately need it most. Um, They're taking their health and even their very lives at risk right now with this. So we're asking that you please pray for them and the others who are risking their health, helping those in need. Uh, This is no joke. I mean... I can't stress enough how much these people are risking their very health to go in there and spread the gospel message and give these people relief at the same time. So please, please get these people in your prayers. Uh, now our Bible verse for this episode is going to be John fourteen one. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Of course, that is Christ speaking about himself. Uh well, the coronavirus is hitting right now. I feel like I want to hit on that before we get into news and events, really. We're going to have some news about that. But, um, you know, it's there's a lot going on right now. And uh, I know all over the world it's hitting. Here in America, it's, it's really ramping up. Um, the Bible told us there would be times like this. It said there would be great pestilence in the future, especially towards the end times. Um, so this is this is something to be expected. However, um, we can't we can't let it get us down to the point where we start asking God why this is happening. Um, things happen for reasons. Sometimes things happen because they just happen. Sometimes um, the only thing we can really do is pray, pray and help those in need as best we can. Not everyone has the ability to help others in need and in different ways, but um, for those of you who can, you know, pray about it and have God lead you to where you can help others. All right, let's hit some news and events here. Um, we got a uh, looks like an article here coming out of Canada. A reporter is facing charges along with the father of a teen wanting to transition. Now, this is a story, again, like I said, out of Canada off the website ChristianPost.com. Now, an independent Christian journalist and the father of a trans-identifying teen girl are facing charges for speaking out against the experimental practices being performed on her body to gender transition her to appear as male. Now, the British Columbia dad, who is called CD, that's C as in Charlie, D as in Delta, in court documents, has been battling in courts in an attempt to stop a hormonal gender transition of his daughter, along with broadcaster Laura Lynn Thompson, could be charged with criminal contempt of court. Now, there have also been cases like this in the U.S. here recently. Um, I think this is getting ridiculous. I think the government stepping in and saying that you can face charges for trying to prevent your child from making a life-altering, life-changing decision is ridiculous. The very fact that government or any entity thinks they can step in and, and allow my child to make a decision when A, they're not mature enough, 
and B, they're being influenced by external forces that may be pushing them towards that direction, such as the modern culture, making people think it's cool to be that way, etc. At what point are we going to say this is unhealthy? Not just the very fact that they're having those thoughts and those issues mentally, but we're actually fostering those ideas through pushing uh, surgeries, we're pushing hormonal therapies on them, and we're trying to stop parents who want the health and well-being of their child to be first and foremost. We're trying to tell them they're going to face criminal charges for that. That seems crazy to me. All right, um, but let's go to some good news here. Let's, let's not focus on all negative. Let's go to some good news. Chick-fil-A delivered 1,000 free meals to a Washington hospital for those affected by the coronavirus. Now, for anyone who knows Chick-fil-A, that's just par for the course for them. They do that kind of stuff all the time. I know Chick-fil-A uh, in the secular media gets all kinds of bad press for being this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, Chick-fil-A does stuff like this all the time. And that just goes to show you, hey, if you want to support a good uh, fast food restaurant, that's a good place to go right there. Um, another portion of good news. Now, this, is, this isn't 100% what we want, but this is definitely a step in the right direction. That's why I like this. Uh, Mississippi House passes bill that would ban abortions based on race, sex, genetic abnormalities. Now, this comes from ChristianHeadlines.com. I'm going to read you a few segments from that. Uh, the Mississippi House of Representatives passed a bill that would ban abortions performed because of a baby's race, sex, or possible genetic abnormalities. Uh, Sue Libel, state policy director for Susan B. Anthony List, a pro-life group, said she expects the bill to become law. Uh, SBA List is confident that these staunch pro-life advocates will continue to champion this bill until it reaches Governor Tate Reeves' desk, a strongly pro-life governor who will not fail to sign it into law. Now, the bill does provide for exemptions from medical emergencies. Abortion providers who violate the law would face as much as 10 years in prison and could have their state medical license suspended or revoked. So this isn't 100% what we want, but this is a big step in the right direction. So um, every little step we can get, I, if they're not going to give us the whole pile at once, we're going to take it a piece at a time. That's the mentality we got to have. If you ain't going to give me the whole pile, I'm going to take a, one slice at a time, no matter how big or how small it is, I'm going to take it one slice at a time until we got the whole thing. And that's where you go out there and you pray about it, you speak to people about it, you know, get on social media. And I know we get absolutely butchered on social media for stuff like this. So be it. You know, Christ told us following him would not be easy. Christ said, when you follow me, your life will be difficult. People will hate you because they hate me. That's what the Bible says, so that clearly outlines what we can expect. So, yeah, you can expect to get that bloodbath when you go on social media and, and to post these things and deal with it. It's, it's just part of it. It's part of being a Christ follower. Um, you got to count the cost. This is part of it. We have to speak up for those unborn children who literally have no way to speak up for themselves or stop what's going to happen to them. There is nothing they can do to stop the absolutely horrible thing that is about to happen to them. But we can do things like this to stop it. We can do, take these small steps on our way to achieving a total victory here. Again, we're fighting one battle at a time in an effort to win the war. And this, again, this is one battle we're winning right here that's going to eventually bring us winning the whole war. But you got to go out there, you got to pray, you got to educate people. A lot of people don't understand just how horrible abortion really is. They think it's just some nice, neat medical procedure where they go in and remove a piece of tissue and you're done. That's not reality. The reality of abortion, it is absolutely brutal. 
Um, and for those of you, your friends out there, your family members who don't know or understand this, you need to educate them on it, and we need to pray. Uh, but that's all the headlines I got for now. All right, let's do our book reviews for this episode. We got two of them. Uh, one of them is going to be Capital Gains by Chip Gaines, and the other one is going to be Before Amen by Max Licato. Now, uh, the first book, Capital Gains, uh, authored by Chip Gaines, and it's published by Thomas Nelson in 2017. Uh, here is a portion of the book summary for the audio version provided by the publisher. The funny and talented Chip Gaines is well-known to millions of people as a TV star, renovation expert, best-selling author, husband to Joanna, and father of four in Waco, Texas. But long before the world took notice, Chip was a serial entrepreneur who was always ready for the next challenge, even if it didn't quite work out as planned. Now, i got to say, this book caught me by surprise. It's marketed more as a book about success than as a Christian book. However, I have to say... It is about both. It's about success in ways that matter, not just in business, but in life. Now, he makes it very clear that he has a big heart and cares about people. He also makes it clear that he trusts God without fail. The whole book is about his good times and his bad, his failures and his successes, and how he and his wife simply trusted God all along the way. Now, they have different ideas of trusting God and other things in life. You know, For example, Chip stated that he goes forward with a plan and just trusts that God will make it happen while Joanna seems to wait on God to tell her to move. Uh, while these two have conflicting styles and personalities in many ways and many parts of life, they have learned to use each other's strengths and compensate for each other's weaknesses. They truly become partners and work together as one to form not only a good business, but a fantastic family and a fantastic marriage. And this book details his tough start in business, uh, how it was with his first big relationship hurdle between him and Joanna, and how it showed how, and it showed how they managed to work together through it and discover ways they could actually support each other. Uh, here's a brief excerpt from the book, and this is one of my favorite parts here. It wasn't long after that I remember sitting in a business class and looking out the window at a man riding a lawnmower. I was mesmerized as I watched the blades of freshly cut grass billow up into the air. Then I thought, that guy has it all figured out. Why am I sitting here learning concepts and hypothetical business principles while he is out there grabbing the bull by the horns and actually making it happen? Uh, as you can tell, the book is easy to read and it flows very well. It's a great book and I absolutely cannot recommend this book enough. So I uh, highly, highly recommend if you get the chance to you know, get that uh, print edition or audio. And again, that's going to be available probably at your local library. Uh, I picked this up on uh, Libby, which is a free library app where you can listen to uh, different books on that. So uh, get out there and check that out if you can. Uh, now the next one's going to be a full, called Before Amen. or The full title is Before Amen. The Power of a Simple Prayer. Uh, now, the author of this is Max Licato, published in 2014 by Thomas Nelson. Now, this book, it received a lot of good reviews online, as it is simple and mostly easy to understand. Uh, here's the summary uh, that is provided by the book. In Before Amen, best-selling author Max Licato joins readers on a journey to the very heart of biblical prayer, offering hope for doubts and confidence even for prayer wimps. Distilling prayers in the Bible down to one pocket-sized prayer. Max reminds readers that prayer is not a privilege for the pious, nor the art of the chosen few. Prayer is simply a heartfelt conversation between God and His child. Let the conversation begin. Uh, 
let me, I, I want to say that I look at this book as being divided up into two different segments. Um, I look at this as the first half of the book and the second half of the book. Okay. Um, I agree with the overall ideas and principles of the book. And I like the way Max Licato tries to take all the drama and mystery out of prayer for those who aren't well-versed in it. And this is some good, there's some good and bad in this book. And I want to break down into two, in those two halves. Okay, so the first half begins with some very reassuring thoughts and ideas for the reader. He mentions that most of us struggle with prayer, even him. We all get too busy, we get distracted, or we just forget to pray. Okay, full disclaimer, I am no different. Absolutely, I am no different. I am just as guilty of that as starting a prayer. Next thing you know, I'm thinking about something else. Okay, um, But I do want to say that some of his analogies fall short, and I do want to point out a couple of them for discussion. Okay, Now, for example, when Jesus turned the water into wine, he mentions the biblical story and does a good job of talking and bringing things to God, or talking about bringing things to God so he can help. Okay, just as when Mary asked for help at the wedding and the water was turned into wine. He then goes on to offer another account of this. He talks about what can happen when we don't bring things before God and just complain or try to uh, solve them on our own. While I agree with this point he was trying to make, he makes it by telling the story in a different way and saying it is another account not recorded in the Bible. Okay, he never states that this is a fictional story that was made up to drive the point home. Uh, a new Christian who is not well versed in the Bible could easily misunderstand what is being said here and believe there may be some other contradicting account of the story out there somewhere. Especially if you read this book and see that, the way it's worded, if you aren't paying close attention to what the point he's trying to drive home, and if you aren't well versed in the Bible, you could very easily start to get some contradictory information there. So um, there's some points like that that tend to occur in the book that I want readers to be aware of. Okay. And he also tells a story of knocking on a friend's door and ringing a doorbell late at night until you annoy them into answering and helping you. He makes a statement that we can bother God until he gives us what we are praying for. And I have to completely disagree with that. God will answer all prayers in one of three ways. Yes, no, or not now. We cannot make God do something or give us something that he is unwilling to do simply by annoying him. Alright, so... Now that I got the first half of the book out of the way, I have to say the second half of the book was very well done. I love the section where he talked about prayers of being thankful. He took us through the alphabet with an A to Z of things to be thankful for, and this was a very enjoyable part. He simplified prayer down to us talking to God and spending time with him, which I very much agree with. I would not recommend this book to a new Christian, but for those believers who can pull out the nuggets of wisdom while being able to discern the metaphors, will enjoy what this title has to offer. There's my take on that. Um, if you have an opinion on these books or anything else you'd like us to talk about, or maybe a book you want us to review, shoot us an email, unknownchristiansoldiers at gmail.com. Again, that's unknownchristiansoldiers at gmail.com. Today on the podcast, um, in light of what's going on, I'm doing church at home. So actually what the study will be today will be the next part of Ephesians. And uh, picking up there will be me basically having to study with my kids today. So, alright, let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we come before you right now and ask your blessing on this Bible study that we're doing right now. 
Father, we pray that you allow me to say the words we need to say. Allow us to read the things you want us to read and get out of it what you want us to, Father. We pray right now that your spirit will come upon us and bless what we're doing here and allow us to get out of it everything that we can. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, Sunday school, we all did a study in Ephesians a while back, right? So, remember our study book? Okay, ever shake your head? Yes. Okay. So, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul reminds us of the clearest central truth of the gospel, and that is that God raised Christ from the dead, okay? Um, Paul gave us a clear picture of the before and after of who we are in Christ. And remember what Ephesians is. Ephesians is a letter to the church at Ephesus, okay? Um, It's a letter not just to the church at Ephesus, but it's, it's... a letter to the church as a whole. A lot of the, the letters that Paul wrote are basically letters, not just to those churches, but letters to the churches as a whole, both past and present. Okay, And it's written in a form that we find kind of odd today. Some of it seems like it grammatically doesn't make sense, or like it's one long run-on sentence. I mean, a lot of it just doesn't seem to make sense when we read it because of the way it's structured or it looks odd to us today. Um, you know, I was told uh, that the letters were written like this uh, due to the cost and lack of the parchment paper that is written, uh, especially if this was one of the ones that was written while he was in confinement. Okay, Our associate pastor was discussing this in, in Sunday school one time, and he stated that when people wrote letters in those situations or during those times, they would write small, the letters would be, words would be almost right up against each other. I mean, literally they would just cram as much as they could onto one side of the parchment Flip it over and keep doing the same thing on the back side. I mean, just, just cramming as much information as they possibly could until they saw that they're coming near the end of the letter and then they would start concluding, or into the parchment, and they would start concluding their information at that point. So sometimes maybe they couldn't quite get the last point across before they had to start concluding. I mean, it was just the way it was back then. That was normal. That was accepted because that's what they had to work with. So that's why the, some of the structures, some of the ways it's done is, is the way it is. Um, now, this is a stark contrast to what we do today, okay? Brief little emails, um, text messages that are all abbreviations, you know, BRB, WID, all those things. You know, we, um, we try to do as little information as possible in the smallest segment as possible versus what they had to do is cram as much information as they could into that segment right there versus us trying to do as little as possible to communicate with each other. I mean, how many times do we... Especially right now, if everyone's stuck at home, do we go long periods without talking to anybody, you know? Um, so, let's go and get into our reading. I'm reading from uh, the New American Standard Bible, which is, as far as translations to English goes, this is the most accurate and literal translation into English that there is. Uh, nothing against King James and anything like that, but uh, I do prefer this translation for a lot of things. So, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly live in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love 
in which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, <clears throat> excuse me, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For God prepared before us so that we could walk in them. All right, let's go back and break a little bit of that down here. Right off the bat, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Of course, this is kind of carry over from Ephesians chapter 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What does that mean? Who can, who can tell me? Go ahead. Uh, I think it means like you sinned, so you were um, separated from God, I guess. Very good. So spiritually, when you sin, you are spiritually dead. This isn't talking about physical death. We are spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses. Okay, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Okay, so you formerly these are this is a, the Christian church there at Ephesus. You know, they are Christians. They are, they have salvation. All right, they've accepted Christ's sacrifice as their own. All right, so they formerly walked according to this course. Okay. And it goes on in verse 4, But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, again, going back to what you said, made us alive with Christ by grace, you have been saved. We are made alive. We were dead in our transgressions, dead in our sin, and we are made alive again through Christ and his sacrifice, spiritually alive. Um, Who can tell me a little bit more about that? Who, does anyone want to elaborate on that a little bit? So what does it mean is not as, as a result of works so that no one may boast? Who can tell me a little bit about that? It's just saying, it's saying basically not just by doing good things so that you can't just go out and say, I did all this. Or like being, like if you were rich and you just made videos of you handing it's your salvation isn't by your right. Your salvation isn't by doing things like that. It's not so you can go out there and say, "Hey, I did this and I did that, and that's why I'm such a good person. I deserve to go to heaven." You're absolutely right. It's not so we can boast. It's not through us. All right. Most, if all, if not all, major world religions have one thing in common. Does anyone know what that is? Okay, it's works-based salvation. It means you go to heaven, you are saved, you have your salvation because of the things you do. Now, what are the issues with that? You may not be good enough. Okay, because you have to be good enough. What if you didn't pray enough? Because you must pray enough. You have, and you have to pray in a certain way, you know. Um, they have to outweigh the good with the bad that you've done. You know, there's there's all kinds of different world religions that have these different beliefs in that. Uh, how do you know if you've done enough? I mean, at what point do you know if you've done enough to outweigh your good with your bad? Did I pray enough in the right way or these other things, okay? How do you know when you've done enough? 
according to these other religions. It said that Islam's founder, Muhammad, was worried on his deathbed that even he wasn't good enough to go to heaven. He was supposed to be Islam's premier and founding prophet. So how could anyone who believes in Islam, who believes in that, that religious belief system, how could they have assurances that they are going to heaven if even he couldn't? I mean, that doesn't make sense. So, again, we won't get into how the false religion of Islam began. Okay, that's, that actually talks about in the Bible how the lineage came down to Muhammad through that, but um, with Ishmael. But we'll get into that some other time. But, um, but these verses tell us that Christianity is unique. The verses we just read tell us Christianity is unique and that we cannot do enough good to get to heaven. It's physically and spiritually and emotionally impossible to do enough good to go to heaven. Okay, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Remember, we were offered this gift of salvation through faith, not through what we've done and not through works, not by things that we do. Okay? And there's a lot of verses that point out that we all fall short. Okay? Like, who knows what Romans 3.23 is? Anybody? Right. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that tell us? That's right. We all do bad things. Everybody. Everybody does bad things, okay? Everybody sins. Romans 3.10, as it is written, none are righteous, no, not one. That means not one single person on this earth is righteous, not one. You have to be righteous to go to heaven, okay? Romans 1.32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in doing that. That means not only do the people do these things that are worthy of death, knowingly, but they take pleasure in doing them, okay? Uh, so again, let's go back to these verses right here. We've all sinned. No one's righteous, and since you have to be righteous to go to heaven, no one is, so we can't go to heaven that way. And most of us, even knowing the judgment of God, still commit sin, okay? When we stand before God in judgment, if we are judged by our life and our sins, none of us are going to pass that test, not one of us. We will all be found guilty, and we will all go to hell. Will all be condemned for that? Uh, not even Paul. Paul, who's generally considered the greatest of all the apostles, not even he could pass that. He was said to be chief of sinners, or in the NIV it states, "I am the worst of these." Even he, after having the absolutely amazing and miraculous experience with Jesus that occurred with him, which I encourage all you kids to go in there and read that. Okay. Even after his experience, he still had issues where he sinned some, some, sometimes. He even felt that he was the worst of sinners. He was a chief of sinners. None of us have what it takes to get into heaven based off of keeping the law. That's the Jews, Jewish traditions and religious beliefs are. Or being good enough. Or, or praying enough. Or giving enough money. Or whatever else. Just none of us are going to be found worthy of going to heaven through that. Okay? What this means is that only through Christ, who interceded on our behalf, can we be found righteous. Again, only the righteous can enter heaven. If we are not righteous because we have sinned, we must have someone who can make us righteous or have some way to become righteous, and that's through Christ. He took the punishment and was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins to cover them all, both past, present, and future. All right? He was the one who atoned. He's the one who took the punishment. He's the one who covered our sins for us if you will accept that sacrifice. If you will accept 
what he did to cover your sins, then you will be accepted. You are saved. You have your salvation. Okay? This is how we will be able to stand before the Father in judgment and be found worthy. Not because of what we did, but because of what Jesus did. For grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Like you said a moment ago, it's, it's about talking about all the good things you did. doesn't matter how much good things you did. You could, you could be the most amazing, giving, wonderful person on the earth. You could be Mother Teresa. You could be whoever, you know. You're still not worthy of heaven. Only Christ can sanctify you and make you righteous and make you worthy of heaven. That's it, okay? Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 22 through 23, when referencing the judgment, here's what, exactly what the words of Christ are. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess them. This is Christ himself saying he will say this in, to those people in those days. And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. These are people that said, look at all these things we did. Look at me. Look at what I did. Look at all the great things I've done. Okay? Look, we, we cast out devils. We've done many wonderful works. We've done these things. Haven't we done all this stuff? And Jesus will say to them, Get away from me, I never knew you, and they will be cast into darkness. That's a scary thought to think you've done all these wonderful things, then you stand before God and he says, get away from me, I never knew you. We are all dead in sin until we accept Christ. Again, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. And that's why Christ came as a man and paid the price for our sins. We all know John 3.16. What's John 3.16, anybody? Yeah, for God so loved the world that he saved his only, or gave his only begotten son. Who's? There you go. Very good. What does John 3.17 say, though? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. Very good, very good. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, should have eternal life. And then John 3.17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Christ came not to condemn the world. Our sins already condemn us. Christ doesn't need to come condemn us. We condemn ourselves. Christ came to free us from our sins. Remember, the Jewish people thought that the Messiah would come to free them. And he did, but in a different way. Their idea was Christ, was, the Messiah, was going to come and was going to free them of all the, the oppression that they had and throw off the Romans from them. And they were going to and, and get rid of Caesar and, and have be powerful and, and military-like. And that was their idea of this Messiah that was going to come. I mean, the Messiah did come. And he did conquer, and he did free, but not in the way that they wanted. He came to conquer death and sin and free them from it. Free them from that. That's what Christ did. That's what the Messiah did. That's how he came and conquered and freed. But no, they wanted it to be an earthly thing rather than a spiritual thing. And that's why Christians and Jews see things differently right there, because the Jews are still waiting on the Messiah, unless they're a completed or messianic Jew. The Christians believe the Messiah has already come through Jesus or Yeshua as they called him so 
That's all I have. Let's see what kind of questions y'all have. Go ahead. You just said the Jews believe they're still waiting. So they're still waiting for Jesus and they believe in God and stuff. So do they have like their own Bible or do they use the same one? That's a good question. Uh, the Jewish believe, the Jewish, they have some different writings, but the majority of their writings are our Old, Old Testament. And, uh, you know, there's a pastor named Jack Hibbs that does a very good job of, of showing how you can show someone who is Jewish. You can show them in the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the, the Jews believe that Jesus came when he was a great teacher and a great prophet, but they don't believe he was the Messiah. They believe they're still waiting on the Messiah because, again, their belief is the Messiah is going to come down and, and free them on earth. You know, that's the, but the Messiah came to free them of their sin. That's where Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. So there's a, there's a belief difference there. Uh, again, they believe that, that Jesus came, but they just don't believe he's the Christ. The Christ means the anointed one. They don't believe he is that. They just believe he was a prophet and a teacher. But again, most of their religious teachings and beliefs are going to be our Old Testament. Um, of course, they will they would see the New Testament, and they might read some of those writings, and some of them will even say, you know, there's Islamic people, uh, belief in Islam that reads portions of our New Testament. There's Jews that read portions of the New Testament as they are teachings. Again, they believe Christ was a, or Jesus was a teacher. They don't believe he's the Christ, but they believe he was a teacher, but not, and a prophet, but not the Messiah. So, uh, that's where those fundamental differences are. Again, unless they are what's called a completed or messianic Jew, then they, then they believe, they believe in the Jewish traditions, but they also believe that Jesus was the Messiah and he was the Christ. So, any other questions? Go ahead. This is kind of off topic, but I've heard it before. If you kill yourself, but you believe in Jesus, can mm-hmm. you still go to heaven? This is my personal belief, because the Bible doesn't specifically address that. Okay, if someone commits suicide, but they are they have their salvation, will they still go to heaven? My belief is, again, Christ covers all our Christ's sacrifice covers all our sins. If you accept and believe in Christ... His, his birth, his, the fact that he was God who came down as a man. His ministry, he, he sacrificed himself and died on the cross for our sins. On the third day, he rose again. If you believe that with all your heart and your mind, and you truly accept that sacrifice, that covers all your sins, both past, or all of them, past, present, and future. You can't, in my mind, in my eyes, you can't do something like that and suddenly lose your salvation. If you lose your salvation, you never had it. Okay, now, that being said, and again, that's my belief. My belief is, because the Bible doesn't specifically address that, that that sin is covered. Okay, it's covered. But, um, if you're at that point, if anyone feels like that, though, if anyone's at that point, then that's, that person needs to get some help. Okay? There's a lot of counseling, there's a lot of things like that, a lot of counseling and, and even biblical programs they can go through that can help them. A lot of prayer. Okay, so if, if you know someone that's in that situation that might be feeling like that, you know, say something. Don't just let that slide because, you know, especially being a better myself, you know, there's 22 of us on average every day that kill themselves. That's a big, that's a big number out of that small percentage of the population. So, again, if I know one of my veteran brothers is, is hurting out there, I'm going to try to get him some help. You know, same thing for y'all. If y'all are at school, 
and y'all see someone they're they're saying stuff like that, or they're acting in a way that makes you suspicious that you need to say something. Okay, get that person some help. All right. So, any other questions? No, because here, the the Bible says in a few different verses, it says, you are A, you are sealed to the day of redemption. And number two, it says that God has us in his hand. And no one can snatch us from his hand, is what it says. No one can. No one can come and take your salvation away from you. No one can come and snatch you out of God's hands. Now, the reason why the seal is so important, it says sealed to the day of redemption. When a king or an emperor placed a seal on something, if anyone but the person that was in, whether there was a letter or whatever it was, if anyone except for the person who was intended to break that seal uh, broke it, guess what happened to that person? Death sentence. Okay? No one broke that seal except the person who was intended to. So you are, you are wrapped and sealed until the day of redemption, until the last day when, the, when you stand before God. And again, God has you in his hand and no one can snatch you from his hand. Does that answer your question? something like in the Bible what if you like like with gay people who have like these gay Christians because people always try and say it's possible to still go to heaven like that but well here's the deal when you first receive your salvation when you're a new Christian there's going to be things God's still working on you for most of us we don't have some amazing miraculous moment where everything just changes some people do like Paul Okay, but most of us don't. There's still things God's going to work on us through. Or there's still some sins you're going to have that God's going to slowly work on you to rid those sins of your life. Okay? We'll never be perfect. We'll never live a sin-free life until we get to heaven. If we could live a sin-free life, Christ wouldn't need to come. Okay? If, we, if, if even one person on this earth could live a life that was completely sin-free and blameless, there, was, there would be no need, reason for Jesus to come down to die for our sins because it would be possible for man to live that kind of life. But we can't. Okay, so again, when you receive your salvation, God will start working. And there's been countless numbers of people who are homosexuals who came to Christ, who became Christians, and as God worked on them, he brought them out of that lifestyle. He brought them away from the homosexual lifestyle. So just because someone says they're a Christian but they're homosexual doesn't mean that God isn't working on them to pull them out of that lifestyle. Does that make sense? He's, he's slowly working to get them out of that. Maybe quickly working to get them out of that. You know, that's God does things in his time. You know, it's the same, God does things specifically for a reason. Like the same reason Jesus spoke in parables or answered questions of questions because people remember those things better. People remember a parable much better than me just speaking a sentence to them. You know, people remember words tell, pictures sell, you know, so to speak. You know, a picture paints a thousand words, you know. It's the same thing. That, that parable that he would say it's much more instructive than him just giving words oftentimes. So it's, again, God God does things in his way because his ways are more effective than our ways. His ways are better than our ways. So God will find that timing to bring that person out of that lifestyle, out of that sin, and into him, if that makes sense. Okay. Go ahead. you have a question? Um, so those soldiers and stuff that, like, hated Jesus, do you think some of them were, like, Jews and they thought wasn't the Messiah, but they still believed in God? Well, yeah, because there were, when the ones that arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they were most likely Jewish guard. Um, Now, the ones that executed the punishment would have been a Roman, which Romans had all kinds of different, they were a 
very eclectic blend of different religious beliefs. Um, oftentimes believing in, I don't know, was it Zeus and uh, all these other different mythical beings. Um, you know, that was, they had a lot, they had that belief, Athena, all those other, they had that belief system. But again, they also believed in a ton of other gods. So, but uh, the ones that administered the punishment to him would have most likely been Roman. Uh, but the ones that came to arrest him would have likely been Jewish guard. Um, so the Jews would have been, of course, once he's standing before the punishment, those, I hesitate to say that because there was a Roman guard who came before Christ and said, remember, there was a Roman soldier who was, uh, I, I'm assuming he's maybe a captain or a major of our equivalent, and he came to Christ and said, you know, if you just simply speak the words, my servant will be healed, and he was healed. You know, he had faith and belief. Now, so could they have, could the soldiers who executed the punishment on Jesus, could they have been, had Jewish belief possibly? Again, like I said, the Romans had a very wide, wide variety of belief systems among them, but um, we don't know. It doesn't specify anything like that. So, all right, let's go ahead and wrap this up with closing prayer. Father God, thank you for allowing us to have this time together and do this study and answer these questions. We pray that you will bless our day as we go throughout it and that you allow us to use this word to help enrich our lives and live for you. Amen. That will do it for this episode. Um, hope you got something out of it today. And we'll be hopefully recording these a little more often now. I actually did get a job where I am home uh, much more often now, with my family much more often now. So hopefully we can get these out on a, a much more regular basis at this point. So um, once I get settled in and get everything rolling with my new current position, uh, we should be in a spot where we can actually start uh, getting these out a little more regularly. So uh, other than that, thank you all for tuning in, and uh, have a good week. God bless.